Our first reading is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, and beginning at verse 19. And the chapter is entitled, A Call to Persevere. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. 
I guess most of us here have seen the film Sound of Music, musical. Only on a musical would a nun sing, I have confidence in sunshine, I have confidence in rain. Confidence has been described as belief in the power, trustworthiness or reliability of a person or thing. It is something that anyone watching an English team play at anything doesn't have in great supply. But a Christian is someone who puts their confidence in Christ, in his power, in his trustworthiness, in his reliability. And as the image on the screen shows, putting your confidence in Christ can be the key to security. It's all about Jesus. Place confidence in yourself uh, and you can either end up being proud if you do well because it's about me or you can end up being insecure uh, because it's about me and you know that you fail. And between these two opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of pride or insecurity, there is the cross of Jesus. And if we say it's not all about me, it's actually all about Jesus, then that is the place of security. That is the place where you find someone to put your confidence in who will repay that confidence. Because when it comes to power and trustworthiness and reliability, Jesus is your man. More than that, actually. Jesus is your God. We put our confidence in him. Back in the 17th century, the, the Swiss reformer Ulrich Zwingli said, our confidence in Christ doesn't make us lazy, negligent or careless. On the contrary, it awakens us, urges us on, and makes us active in living righteous lives and doing good. There is no self-confidence compared to this. I can't help wondering the extent to which Hebrews chapter 10 was in Zwingli's mind when he wrote those words, because chapter 10 is all about making the most of your confidence in Christ and not throwing it away. Because the Hebrew Christians to which the letter was addressed were in danger of losing their confidence. Not because Christ had let them down, but they were finding the cost of following him was becoming too great. The writer of the Hebrews reminds them of what they've been through already, standing their ground in the face of great suffering. But now it looked as if they were beginning to have second thoughts. They'd been through public humiliation. They'd had their property confiscated. They'd stood shoulder and sh to shoulder with those who'd been put in prison for their faith. But now they were wavering. And one of the prime aims of this letter is to bolster their confidence again. What was at stake? Quite simply everything. The writer of the Hebrews makes the point that if you abandon your confidence in Christ, you haven't got a hope in hell. Christ is coming back. It's our job to hang on in there until he comes. For those who put their confidence in Christ, there can be no turning back. Because it's those who persevere, those who push on to the end, who receive the rich ward of eternal life that God has promised to those who belong to him. Those who keep the faith and stay faithful. Who fight the fight 
finish the race, who keep the faith and receive the crown of life. And faith is anything but passive. Hebrews isn't interested in an armchair Christianity. It's in the hurly-burly of everyday life that the rubber of faith hits the road. You have confidence in Christ? Well, what are you going to do about it? Because if faith doesn't work itself out in action, something somewhere is not as it should be. So Hebrews spells out what is required and expected of the readers of this letter in a series of five exhortations in verses 23 to 25 that all resonate memorably together in the New International Version because they all start with the same two words, lettuce. So the writer of the Hebrews presents his readers with five lettuces. Sorry. All of which spell out what it means for us to work out our faith in practice. The first one is... Let us draw near to God. We can draw near to God in the full assurance of faith because our hearts have been cleansed from an evil conscience, a truth that's expressed in the cleansing waters of baptism. We have an assurance that Christ has opened the way for us to approach God. We are no longer excluded from the Holy of Holies. We are no longer separated from God's presence by a barrier. By his physical death on the cross, Christ has pulled aside the curtain that used to separate us from the presence of God and now through him the way is wide open for us to draw near. What does that mean in practice for us though? Because there's no physical sanctuary that we enter to draw near to the presence of God. We can worship God here in Brighton Road as some of us did in the open air this morning at Dalesdown. Though I didn't feel free to come here in shorts and a t-shirt this evening. But when we draw near to the presence of God, that is something we can and should do in our hearts. Because it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't really matter what church you're in. It's a question of drawing near to God in your heart. And not just on a Sunday either, but on a daily basis we are invited to draw near to God in our hearts. There is a sense, of course, in which God is near us all the time. He never leaves our side, he never leaves our heart. But it is easy for us, isn't it, to crack on with the business of daily living without giving him a second thought. Mentally, we are perfectly capable capable of keeping God at arm's length or even further away. We can even make the mistake of so associating God with this place, we think we need to come here to encounter him. No. The coming of Christ means that the only temple God lives in now is our hearts. So it's here that we come to God in prayer. It's here that we dedicate and offer to him the daily routine of our lives as an act of worship. It's here that we allow his presence within us to make us holy in mind, body and spirit. We draw near to God by living consciously, deliberately, wholeheartedly for him and offering our life, our days, what we say and what we do as an act of worship to him. And and praying and praising and worshipping and celebrating his presence with us. All of our life is an act of worship if we draw near to God in our hearts. 
The second lettuce is found in verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, because the one who promised is faithful. This is about staying the course and persevering. This is about following the line all the way to the end, because it's only by holding on to your hope that you ultimately get what you're hoping for. Don't give up. Hold steady without wavering. Those of you who've played 10-pin bowls will know that once a ball veers off into the gully, that's it. You're never going to get any pins down with that one. The, ball, the, the, the bowl has to stay in the centre of the line to go down and get a strike and get the pins down. A true ball will stay right on target until the end, and that is how Christ wants us to be. It's as if you should draw a straight line between your present confidence and the hope that lies ahead of you and stick to it whatever else happens. Your faith is the most important thing. Your eternal salvation depends upon it. So hold unswervingly to the hope that you profess. Not giving up, not coming back, not going to the right, not going to the left. Keeping steady. Because when you get there, it will be more than worth it. The salvation that awaits us is worth hanging on for, worth giving out all for, worth getting to the end to receive. And our third letter is in verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The first letter is focused on God. Let's draw near to God. The second focuses upon ourselves, hold unswervingly to our hope. The third focuses on the church, us together. And here Paul's great trio of faith, hope and love all make a a joint appearance. We are to draw near to God in the full assurance of faith. We are to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. And we are called to consider how we can spur each other on towards love and good deeds. The language is striking here. We are to be concerned with a paroxysm of love and good deeds towards each other. That's the word that's used here. Paroxysm. means a sudden outburst of emotion or action. It is a particularly intense word. It depicts the church like a flurry of activity, like a disturbed ant's nest, but with every member lovingly and actively engaged in doing good by all the other members. If we are busy as Christians, and it's a particular trait of Baptist Christians, perhaps to be busy, this is where our busyness should be focused, on lovingly doing good to others. So check your diaries. How many of those meetings you might be going to this week reflect that agenda? Who will benefit from your busyness this week? The church can and should be a cottage industry in manufacturing love and good deeds. And our level of output in this respect is a measure of the effectiveness of our witness to others and the genuineness of our faith. Because while faith may originate in the depths of my own individual heart through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it needs to find expression in terms of how I treat everybody else around me. If I love them in Christ as I am called to do, then on my mental agenda should be the question, what good thing am I going to do for them 
today. So alongside our upward focus of drawing near to God and our forward focus of holding on to our our hope, there is the outward focus of considering how we can encourage love and good deeds amongst us as a church. How we can spur each other on to be more loving. How we can spur each other on to treat each other better. And and the last two lettuces in in the the NIV are aren't there in the Greek, but they're grammatically subordinate to this one. The the writer uses participles rather than imperatives. You want to get technical. But the the idea is that Hebrews expands on the idea of showing love and good deeds to each other in two ways. To do this well, he says, it helps if you get together. It's obvious, isn't it? If you're going to spend time encouraging other people, if you're going to spend time loving them and doing good by them, then it's helpful if you meet them to be able to do that. So he says, don't give up the habit of meeting together. It's an important part of being a Christian. There is that old image, isn't there, of the the coal that's taken out of the fire and left on the side of the hearth to cool. And a picture of how if if we are not at the centre of the body of Christ, if we kind of withdraw to the fringe of the church and step outside a little bit, then our faith begins to cool as a result. The place to fire up your faith and to to renew your confidence has to be at the centre of church life. Pulling away towards the margins of a fellowship easily goes hand in hand with a cooling of commitment to Christ as well as to each other. We are in this faith thing together. And for those who perhaps were feeling the pressure, and as happens in many parts of the world today, going to church can be a dangerous thing. Parts of Africa, you go and you don't know whether you're going to come back alive or not. And it's easy for people to say, I would rather just stay at home. And in Hebrews, they weren't experiencing that intensity of persecution, but you could be hassled, you could be arrested, you could be discriminated against. There were all sorts of ways of making life difficult for Christians at that point in time. And some were saying, I would really rather not. But commitment to Christ goes hand in hand with commitment to each other. Don't stop meeting together, is the message of the writer to the Hebrews. From our point of view, in the relative comfort and security of of southern England, the message still comes to us because there are so many other things that crowd in to distract us and take up time that we could easily spend our Sundays doing. But the less you see of your brothers and sisters in Christ, the harder it is actively to be doing good by them, actively to be loving them. And it's easier if we're not actually doing good by others and loving others for the focus of our lives gradually to become more and more centred upon ourselves rather than upon other people. And that's a serious thing, when you remember that the call to love each other is the second greatest commandment that God has given us. Going hand in hand with the call to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. So if you are a Christian, going to church is not an optional extra. I don't mean this church, any church. But God calls us to be grounded somewhere. And it can seem very much like hard work sometimes, but that is all part of the cost of commitment. Responding to the call to carry on loving, to carry on serving, even when you might not much feel like it. Stopping church can be a significant step on the path to losing faith. It's not a path that God calls any of us to go down. Don't neglect meeting together. 
as is the habit of some, says Hebrews. Some had fallen out of the habit of going. Once you lose the habit, it's hard to get it back. Then lastly, we're called to encourage each other. That's the last lettuce. And all the more as we see the day on which Christ is due to return approaching. Build each other up. Comfort each other. Support each other. Keep each other going. I guess that's what I, I try and do Sunday by Sunday from this platform. That's why we're looking at Hebrews because there, there's the need for encouragement. Hebrews envisages all of us encouraging one another. And one of the things that I will, I will cherish in my mind about the church weekend that we've just enjoyed together was, was that sense of encouragement that was there and the sense of, of togetherness and, and the, the absence of grief that people gave each other. Because there were all sorts of things that were, were niggly and could have been awkward and could have been difficult and people could have got uptight and upset and cross and angry and irritable. The potential was there in a, in a dozen, two dozen different ways, but it didn't happen. Because there was that sense in which we are going to be supportive and encouraging and, and there for each other. And there was a mutuality about the whole weekend that actually was very, very special in that way. As we encourage each other, it is every member ministry. It is everyone playing their part because the goal is for all of us to get there and that involves working together as a team. We don't leave anyone behind. We don't drop people because they don't come up to scratch. We don't sideline people because we don't see eye to eye with them. We are committed to each other as fellow members of the body of Christ and that is worked out in practice as we encourage one another. Our role is to support each other as we make our way towards the finishing line. And each of us should be a better Christian for being part of Brighton Road because we have been encouraged by being here with others. And part of the outworking of that being encouraged ourselves is that we should be encouraging others too. So to sum up, being a Christian is about having confidence in Christ. And that confidence is one that finds expression in an all-out commitment on our part. We are to draw near to God in our hearts. We are to hold on to our future hope. We are to spur each other on to love and good deeds, carrying on meeting together and encouraging each other on the path, supporting each other towards the goal. The confidence we have is a confidence we share. Christ is completely faithful and reliable. So don't waver. Let's stand together, let's walk together, let's support and encourage each other on the way as faithfully, expectantly, wholeheartedly we wait for his coming and follow his call. Together we can have every confidence in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for anyone who is wavering or struggling. If that's a matter of their faith in you, pray that you would meet with them in a fresh way and give them the perseverance that they need. 
that's a matter of their relationships with us. May there always be grace and understanding and support. For those who are working through difficult times, would you keep them in your grace? Show us how best to support and encourage and be there for them. And Lord, for all of us, would you renew and deepen our confidence in you. Enable us to build each other up and support each other so that we know our confidence is well placed and together we get there at the end to welcome you, our returning Lord and our coming Saviour. In Jesus' name, Amen.